Good evening. You are listening to Three Moves Ahead. I'm your host, Rob Zachney, and with me tonight is a regular panelist, Bruce Garrick. Hello, gamers. And uh, because we've demonstrated that we can keep Three Moves Ahead running according to the principles laid down by our founder, um, Troy Soland Goodfellow has returned from his exile. Uh, Troy, welcome back. Glad to be back where I belong. Now, tonight we're just going to be catching up a bit on what we've been playing these past couple weeks, uh, mainly because it's, it's been a while since we all got together and talked, and, um, you know, I personally have been playing a fair number of games that, you know, maybe don't require an entire show, um, but I think they're definitely worth discussing. So that's, that's, just, that's just the agenda tonight, just a bit of a roundtable catch up on uh, what we've been up to in the world of strategy. Um, but first, let's kick it over to Troy. Um, Troy, what have you been doing since leaving us? I have been uh, slowly but surely making my way uh, through the wonders of PR. Uh, it's I started a little bit later than we'd anticipated in the new job, uh, but I've been you know doing a lot of writing, uh, following a lot of email chains, seeing how a conference gets planned, all kinds of neat things like that. Took a short trip up to Canada last week, saw some old friends. Uh, did a few personal chores that needed taken care of, and I'm sure I'll have more news about that once I have something to say uh, officially about that. Uh, but pretty much, I haven't been doing a whole lot of gaming, which is really weird for me. Uh, one of the great things of being a games journalist, both a good thing and a bad thing, was there was always something to play because you had to. Uh, you, there was always an assignment you had to complete, um, so there's always a new game. Right. They're waiting for you, and now I haven't been playing a whole lot of new games. I've been going back and playing some stuff that I wanted to play more of, some games that we had already talked about in the show, uh, but not a whole lot of really new, interesting stuff. So I'll you'll probably revisit some things we've talked about, uh, if that's okay with you, Mr. Host. But pretty much my life's been kind of boring, uh, game-wise. I've been doing so, uh, some editing for friends. I've been... Um, talking to editors and reading people, talking people's new blog layouts and all kinds of other fun stuff like that. But generally, no, not a whole lot of new stuff in the game front for me. But I, 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 I do like my new boss, so there we go. Excellent. You heard it here first. Troy Goodfellow likes his new boss. There we go. I need a raise. Already. Excellent. Oh, yeah. yep. um, okay, so, Bruce, what have you, what have you been playing lately? Uh... Well, that's a good question, uh, and I have been playing mostly not playing games. However, in the free time that I have had, uh, I've been playing a lot of War in the East, and also, uh, apropos of our uh, podcast uh, a few a few weeks ago, I've been playing some uh, 1960 Online, which uh, I've been enjoying quite a bit, uh, except for its one glaring flaw, which is that you can't say which side you want to play before you start the game. So that drives me crazy, because I hate playing Kennedy. You hate playing Kennedy? Kennedy's the hero. In your bizarro world, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, are you you enjoying the game table thing? I haven't played it yet. Uh, I know that we've played some 1960 before with, what was it, Vassal we used? Uh, Yes, we did. We played on Vassal. Uh, so, uh, game table doing it for you? No, game table does a nice job. Uh, I like the interface a lot. Um, it's very easy to uh, use. It's not the most intuitive thing. I, the first game I played, I had to uh, 
there was a guy who uh, I didn't know, obviously, since he was just a random person that uh, I, whose game I joined. Uh, and I basically, when I started, I told him uh, I have no idea how to use this interface. And some of the things were not obvious, like how to use momentum, how to um, how to place uh, media uh, influence, that kind of thing. But um, but for the most part, I mean, it, it went pretty smoothly. I like the fact that yeah, there's a time limit. You can set a time limit in the game uh, for each person's turn. Uh, it's very well implemented. I like it. And I, I encourage anyone who has an extra $5 lying around to uh, get a free Game Table Online account and then uh, spend $5 uh, for the right to play the game uh, unlimited number of times. Well, yeah, and that's and that's really the thing. I found that... I was really surprised when I played 1960 um, because if, if you played the board game, um, I would say it's kind of a lavish experience. I mean, the cards are the cards are really you know beautiful and they're interesting to look at. Um, and I was really surprised at how well all of that was translated over to the electronic edition. And when you consider what you're paying for it, it's it's really an incredible value. Oh, absolutely. No, I think it's, I mean, it's it's five freaking dollars. I mean, that's like, that's coffee. Um, so, uh, th- I mean, that, that was, that's kind of a, I mean, it's not even consideration. Uh, the thing that I don't like is that I don't really think the game, the uh, game table online has quite, has the critical mass that it needs to support a lot of games of, uh, of uh, 1960, for example. Uh, it's probably one of the longer games that's going to be on there. Uh, T- Tigers and Euphrates also is on there. I, I want to try that at some point, but that's not really a two-player game. Um, but, uh, yeah, just I mean, just tonight I uh, I logged on and tried to uh, play some 1960, but after 15 minutes I couldn't find a game, and I, and I can't really wait around longer than you know 15 minutes to start something. Uh, so it's, that's a shame, but uh, hopefully people will uh, will latch on and uh, and and play more. Right on. Um, now, I mean, if you want to, you could give your uh, game table online ident, and uh, listeners could match up with you, because uh, Doctor Bruce Garrick is bored, ladies and gentlemen. So you need <laughs> to entertain him. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I'm bored. Um, I'm not bored with War in the East. Okay, yeah, I was, I was, I was hoping we get a chance to discuss that because I have been playing an absolute ton of that game. Okay. Uh, these last Excellent. few weeks. Okay. Um. So, I, I listened to the War in the East show, which I was, you know, sadly unable to take part in. Uh-huh. And um, now I remember you, your your verdict on the show back then was you liked it because it had stuff. Well, um, I mean, the, there's there was no time in that show to address anything because. Of course, with people who you know, the, with the you know, the publisher and 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 um, or the publisher, the designer. I mean, the publisher's Matrix, but uh, the designer and producer, or whatever. On everything is going to be really defensive. So there's no, there's really no opportunity to discuss anything in a sort of logical, reasonable manner. Everything has to be uh, defensive. So as soon as you ask them why is all this stuff in the game, everything becomes a justification. So there was, there was I mean, at some point, I just kind of gave up. Uh, on that discussion, but uh, there's a whole lot of reasons that I like the game, and it does, and it it doesn't really have a lot to do with there being a lot of stuff, uh, just for the sake of stuff. Okay, but, so so, but what, I want to hear more about ha- yours because you've been playing it forever, right? You've been playing a ton of it. I've not been playing a ton of it. I've been playing, um, you know, I've played several scenarios, but I've not played a ton of it. Well, I I got really heavily into it. Um... You know, the, these past couple of weeks, when I when I finally had a chance to really sit down and force myself to learn the design, 
and you know, I, I don't know. I, I remain I remain really conflicted. I think the the big problem I have with the game is I really enjoy these I really enjoy these smaller scenarios. I really enjoy the um the Which set of Barbarossa scenarios where they segment broken, part of the, the Eastern Front and you go and try to capture one of the objectives. Yeah, but those are those scenarios are broken, so Okay, see, I mean, I, I haven't played them enough. Like, I mean, how how are they broken? Well, they just, I mean, the like uh, the Smolesk scenario gives yeah, you. Yeah, I, I just I just lost that. Yeah. Okay. So so notice that you're you have uh, fifty six Panzer Corps in that, uh, which was part of Army Group North. Yes. And that wasn't used in the drive on Smolensk. Okay. And so the whole the here's here's the problem with these with those particular scenarios. I see what they've done. I, I've, I've got, I have so many things to say about this game, but let's let's start with this this very simple thing. I originally thought that the scenarios would be great practice for the campaign scenario or for the Barbarossa scenario. They're not, for the following reason. What they do is they give you uh, units that don't belong to the particular operational objective that you have. So, right. but that completely throws off the game because for for the reason that the game is actually so good. So I want the the little story that I have, the little rant that I'm going to go off on, is that for the first time playing this game for the first time ever, I actually went to a book on my shelf, took it out to see if I was doing it right. Yep, uh, never, that has been my experience throughout this game. Never happened before. I went and got Von Manstein's uh, Lost Victories, turned to the part where he was uh, commanding 56 Panzer Corps uh, in Army Group North, and tried to figure out exactly whether I needed to go east or west of uh, Lake Illman. And that was after playing one, dr one of the drive-on Leningrad scenarios where I basically punched this narrow corridor up to Leningrad and... Uh, had my whole flank, uh, my whole right flank, kept getting attacked by these uh, uh, by these uh, Soviet armies that uh, that kept me from taking any of the um, any of the the secondary objectives. So I lost that I lost that very narrowly. Um, but here's the key point, which is that the game is good because it forces you to use your troops in. It gives you, it may force you to make decisions that I think reflect decisions that uh, I've been reading about, or when I went back to. Because once, once I, once I got War in the East, I started pulling out some old uh, uh, books off the shelf. You know, a bunch of glance books. Plus, uh, I have a two volume. I have a couple two volume uh, histories. There's the John Erickson's history. There's the Earl Zimke history. Um, about just how the kind of how the campaign went, and there's there's so many things about the game that uh, that when you're playing, sort of touch on things that you've read about, which is the whole touching history thing, and which I think is really the reason why anybody wants to play a war game in the first place. So for those reasons, I think that the that the game really works, and it works in a way that I think most war gamers can sort of. That they can they can readily assimilate. I mean, I can I can look here, click on this unit. It's you know, I can see how many movement points it has. I'm not really sure about the strengths because the uh, 
um, uh, the the combat strength can vary widely, uh, and uh, I'm not I'm not sure I like the way that the whole that the game they they talked they all talked about everybody on that podcast talked about you know the granularity of their effects or whatever right and I, right. I think there's a little too much I mean I, I think that there's 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 too much granularity in the sense that uh, you don't need it and it actually obscures more most of the game but it doesn't it's it's not as bad as it as it could be and it's not the sea of detail that you initially think when you pick up the game but uh, I think that the the fundamental part about the game is that it really does make you think about things the way that uh, I assume that commanders had to think about it based on the things that I've read. Like, do you do you detach, you know, uh, you know, some uh, infantry corps to uh, to go into to, Pripyat? Well, to, well, to break down a pocket. Yeah, exactly. To break down yep. a pocket, or you know, do you do you? Uh, the one thing that I, that I've uh, that I got the feeling from the game that I that I never got in really many other games was the sense that. Your panzers can really go almost as far as you want them to go, right. and the 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 thing that keeps them sort of reined in is your natural sort of fear of having them get cut off, and it, the whole thing is sort of a test of how much risk you want to take yes. with your with your mobile yeah. formations, and I assume if it were a two-player game, which I haven't played against anybody yet. How well the uh, Soviet player punishes your risk taking. So, I mean, I think there's, I think there's a very good game as a game in here, and a very good game as a historical, uh, sort of historical s- representation. Now, I've got a whole bunch of other things to say, so I'm just going to stop talking, oh. so you can, you can talk. Well, just, just to go into that, the question of it, it, it makes things makes it forces you to deal with things sort of the way um, you know the generals at the time did. For me, the dilemma that instantly came up was um, what to do about the Pripyat marshes, because you're not really supposed to be in there. I mean, you can't move well, you can't move through them very well. Uh, but the problem is, if you don't do something to deal with them, it sits there right in the heart of your line of advance, and it can it can pose a threat to your flanks but if you send any units in there oh my god it's just it's it's a vortex um if if the soviets you know infiltrate some infantry down there and they start sort of like you know they just sort of sit there and it's it's this it's this you know niggling little problem and the moment you try to address it though and you try to slap down whatever soviet stragglers are in the in the marshes then you realize, oh my god, I can't conduct operations in the marshes worth a damn. And then you commit more troops to try to force them, to try to clear the marshes so you can resume your advance on the important cities. And the next thing you know, now you've actually got an unhealthy portion of your campaign devoted to clearing out this, you know, tactically and strategically irrelevant, you know, patch of turf whose only value is for the Soviets to harass you, and it's working beautifully. Well, I mean, <clears throat> that's completely historical. So, right. I don't think that I think that speaks well to the decisions the game forces you to make. Right now, um, I don't know. I mean, what any war game, any war game is trying to model an historic. Well, most any war game is trying to model um, an historical engagement. Um, but what what, may, what is it about this one that makes you go to your bookshelf? Well, the fact that. 
first of all, the command, uh, the, the command um, uh, considerations that you have force you to keep your formations together. So, you know, in if I were playing the Russian campaign and, the, you know, the turns were, you know, basically a month long or two months for two impulses, um, it doesn't really matter where any particular unit goes as long as it's in supply. In this game, it really makes a big difference whether I keep, uh, you know, the 4th Panzer Army armored divisions in basically in supply of 4th Panzer Army. I can't just move, I just can't just start driving everybody down down uh, down south and helping, helping out Army Group South. And, it, I mean, it even makes a difference for your sort of your axis of attack. You know, troops, uh, uh, formations are going to get bogged down against, you know, whatever strong points you, the Soviets put up. So, you really have to watch out for which units are attached to which headquarters. And you really do have make these decisions. Like, they're not they're not decisions you make lightly. Do I, you know, do I detach, uh, you know, some, you know, whatever uh, infantry corps, like, for example, uh, like First Corps. Do I take First Corps and do I, uh, you know, do I keep it in touch with uh, with Army Group Center, or do I, you know, do I commit it a little further north to try to take Veliki Aluki, or um, you know, it, it, all those things are things that you really have to think about, and uh, and you do it on a time scale that that's meaningful, right? I mean, you're 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 uh, every time every move you make, you sort of reassess the situation. And uh, and it really plays out the way that you read about. Um, the the thing that that I really like about the game is the 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 designers and the were were totally right. The the granularity of effects allows things to happen like the armored formations getting worn down. So I can imagine, although I haven't gotten there yet, that um, in December you're going to have you know whatever, 8th Panzer Division is going to have, you know, one-third of its tanks left, or less. Uh, depending on how much, you know, you've rested and refitted your units, and that's another thing that makes a big difference, right? These are all things that you're sort of thinking about uh, that you can do, and if you read a history, uh, you sort of get the same feel for the, for the campaign that the game is giving you. So I think those are all things that they've done really well. While um, keeping stuff out of the game like annoying auxiliary units which is the the death of John oh, Tiller games yes. for me. Yeah. I mean, I don't care about some annoying uh you know anti-tank unit that I have to keep stacked with somebody. I mean, it the, all these things are are basically uh organic to the units in 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 um in War in the East, but then you can you know you can detach things or rearrange things or whatever. I haven't gotten into that part of the game yet. But uh, I, I mean, I, I like the fact that I have infantry divisions, I have motorized divisions, I have panzer divisions, and those are the things that are important, and those are the things that I can move, and they move and act in ways that correspond to things that I've read about. Yeah, this is, I think, one of my favorite war games in a long time. I haven't put as many hours into it, uh, probably, as you have, Rob, or even you, Bruce, in quite some time. But uh, I had a very, very positive review in PC Gamer, and it's it really does feel like World War II, at least it feels like a World War II map. The command decisions are so important, and so I, mean, I, I sit there and I stare at the map, wondering what I'm supposed to do. It's not where I just, oh, it doesn't really matter which units I move, or where I put the headquarters, or certain parts aren't important. 
there is, I actually do have command paralysis in my head sometimes. Not just become overwhelmed with information, but because I know that the next move could uh, either, it could be a move too far or a move too slow. Um, and I'm just loving that. And this is really a triumph, I think, for two by three games. Yeah, I mean, I think every, all this stuff matters, right? I mean, where, where, yep. what's, what's my axis of advance for 38th core, right? I mean, I make a decision, and five turns later, that formation is somewhere, and now I have to reassess, you know, make a new, make a new plan. Uh, I think that each of those, um, uh, you know, each each time point in the actual campaign, where you know the the, the initial breakthrough, the encirclement battles, the subsequent you know offensives. All those things have analogs in the game that feel like the uh, that feel like the history. Now, having said all that, I, I think it's a I think it's an outstanding game. I think it's probably I think this is probably one of the uh, most significant or important war games uh, since uh, probably since Combat Mission. That's what I would say. Uh, really? Oh, yeah, I, I think so. I mean, I think it, it. So you 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 like it better than SSG stuff? Yeah, I I. I I think it's better than SSG. I'm not saying that it's 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 a completely different type of game. Um, it's a different. It's do I like it? But God, that's a really good question. That's really this is because because you've you've always been a big fan, a big oh I love I love SSG, I love Corsin Pocket. I love which uh, are great. Corsin Pocket's a great uh, Battles of Norm Battles of Normandy was a good game. Yeah, the the best the best best of those games was actually the the uh, Ardennes game, but okay, um, I didn't I didn't play. Yeah. But I think this is more important because I think the thing that that uh, I think the thing that this game does, which is uh, something that the that Course and Pocket and, and Decisive Battles uh, World War Two Ardennes Offensive didn't do, is that it sort it it takes wargaming to uh, it, it, I was about to use a cliche, so I'm going to back off of that. A whole new level? No, I didn't say that. <laughs> is it a parasho- paradigm shift? Yes, it, exactly. It, uh, it, no, I was trying to say something else, actually. I was trying to say that it, um, it, it uses all of the advantages that the computer has, but still keeps the, the spirit or the, the understanding that war gamers have developed over however, you know, 30 years about what little X's in boxes mean and what a hex grid means and what a river line means and uh, all these things that you sort of intuitively know um, but you don't have to actually calculate whether you've got the exact, you know, whether you've got the 27 factors for a, for a 3 to 1 attack and in the defense of war in the east I actually find it much easier to pick up war in the east after you know, the way I play games which is that I'll, I'll play for an hour one night and then i won't play it for three or four days, and then maybe I'll come back for another thirty minutes. Right. I cannot play Course in Pocket like that because right. in Course in Pocket it makes a huge difference where just a few factors go because Absolutely. of the odds. But I can't remember exactly which which unit was the one that I was trying to you know I was trying to I was trying to, you you have to arrange everything in a very specific way which is which is fine that's the very board gamey aspect of it and and I really like that kind of gaming but I can't just sit down after 3 days away from it and remember that you know that 
14th anti-tank regiment was the one that I was trying to get. I was trying to find a way to stack with this other stack so I would get, you know, uh, whatever, the regimental integrity bonus, and I would, you know, right. get the next you know, column shift or whatever. So I mean, it's it's finally. I mean, this is going to be like a rough and and rough comparison. I'm going to say it anyway because I'm in a rough mood today. Uh, it's I mean, as much as I love the decisive battles games, it sometimes felt like you were setting up an elaborate math problem, and if you lost where you were going in your head with your math problem, uh, it could be very confusing. And I think that as complicated and as deep and as huge as War in the East is, it I think feels more organic and holistic as a war game. Yeah, well, and it, it feels it, like you are moving the units around for purposes that are almost that are not completely separate from their math, but are more than their math. They're to solve a tactical and strategic problem instead of just you know getting the dice rolls lined up. Well, ultimately, they're, all these games are math problems. Well, ultimately, yes, but right. and I think that there are things that really bother me about War in the East, like the the way the information's presented. I don't necessarily like. I don't like the boxes that pop up that show me that you know. You know, six thousand four hundred and twelve. You know, casualties occurred. I mean, right. that, that, that stuff makes well, that stuff is, actually makes me crazy. Right. Well, that's actually one of the the problems I I have with the game is I have a, I get a good feeling for the broad strokes of the campaign. I have I have a good feeling for what's going on, but where I begin to run into problem is where just occasionally I want really specific information about what the hell is going on down there on the field, and occasionally like I will have a you know, an entire like an entire Panzer Corps committed to driving driving the Soviets out of this one key hex, and you know, I'm I'm looking at it. It looks like it should be we should absolutely roll them, and then the attack kicks off, and the odds are in my favor, and everything you know starts you know triggering, and the attack just stalls. And at this point, I really need to know exactly why it stalled. It is absolutely crucial for me to be able to just click and see exactly what happened in the engagement. And finding that sort of crucial information, that becomes the needle in the haystack. Figuring out exactly why, like, a given attack failed, you know, it'll give you a statistical outcome, and it'll tell you what was involved in the battle. But what I have a hard time assembling, and I have this problem with the age odd games too, is it shows you everything that went into that battle, you know, all the ingredients, but it doesn't show me the dish. You know? I, I agree with you. I mean, I think that 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 uh, uh, their their attempt to really immerse you in the in the campaign uh, sometimes ignores the fact that you know I'm trying to still play a game. I think that there are there are people who are not necessarily. I think there are people who are who like just pushing counters around uh, in sort of a war themed. Right. Uh, way with a whole lot of detail going on, which is fine. That's you know, this is all entertainment. It's that's how they, uh, what they enjoy, and so the game gives them that. I'm I I also have specific complaints about. I hate the the way that I hate the route rules. I hate the fact that um, at this scale they have units route, and then you sort of play ping pong with uh, with uh, motorized formations trying to yep. you know, get adjacent to them and then get adjacent to them again and get adjacent to them again to, to keep, you know, to causing casualties. I mean, it just, that, that feels so gamey and well, it, it drives me insane when an army group headquarters escapes. Mm-hmm. I'm like, no, I overran them. You know, and nope, sorry, it just it just teleported. Well, basically. I mean, you did, and so I think what happens is that they suffer. You know, you 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 uh, the the commander can be killed, and because commanders have experience and skills, uh, yeah, 
Yeah, right. I mean, there there are consequences. It's not just like like nothing happened. Like, oh, look at that magic. Um, so all that stuff has has uh, has consequences to it. But um, but uh, I just don't. I just it feels weird for me because what you what you end up doing is you end up you know having some you keep some motorized infantry you know division in reserve and then as soon as you break through you just kind of run around and just kind of ping off all the routed units it just feels very very weird and and i'm not sure why uh why they ended up making that uh designing it this way it just it doesn't with with the ability to to handle all this detail right i don't mm -hmm. really see why you have to have a mechanic like that because I mean, those troops. You can whatever troops you're you're um, you're sort of simulating having uh, having fled or become disorganized. I mean, you could you could make uh, uh, you could keep track of them off board. You could have you know cadre counters that you know were assigned to the nearest uh, headquarters, and they could you know depending on how far they went, they ha you know, all this stuff can be tracked, right? It's not a board game where it it just becomes. Uh, you know, overwhelming chore to keep track of. So I'm not sure why it was done this way. It's very odd to me, and it feels weird, and I don't like it. So now, one thing I wanted to ask you guys about this game, uh, because I haven't spent a lot of time doing this myself. Um, I have been mostly playing Barbarossa-centered scenarios, mm -hmm. um, and I'm wondering if you guys have had the chance to dig into a longer form campaign where product war production starts mattering. Um, you know, basically, where where the campaign beyond forty one into forty two, forty three, have you guys had a chance to start dealing with that? Um, conversely, have you guys also had a chance to play around with the Soviets much? Yeah, I'm not there yet. I'm not at the. I'm not at the 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 long term thing. I mean, I have the longest scenario I've played is probably fifteen turns, um, and uh, I don't think that uh, I'm really ready to start playing the Soviets until. Uh, I, I sort of, I'm sort of going through this game very systematically. I'm trying to play. What I was hoping to do was play all the, all the, you know, June 22nd scenarios right. before I started on, you know, the June 22nd, uh, you know, Eastern Front scenario. Um, but like I said, the the sort of the, the arbitrary way they sliced up the map uh, for those scenarios is kind of disappointing, and it's left me a little less than. Uh, uh, the, my motivation to go through all those scenarios kind of has, has faded a little bit, um, but they all feel right. Um, the 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 Minsk scenario, it, it's interesting. Um, the uh, the Germans encircled Minsk in a in a week, right. and I can't do that in in that scenario. I cannot no. get east of Minsk in one turn. Um, so I mean. Uh, there's a whole. I think there's a whole lot to this game. It just shows you, uh, and it's not a. It's not a. It's not a criticism of the designers. It just shows you how much there is to a simulation. That is, the more parts you put in it, the more sort of the, the the more places it can break down, and the more places the the player notices that it can break down because you're expecting this super uh, high fidelity reenactment of the campaign, and and you 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 don't necessarily get it. Um, although the general flow of all those uh, individual scenarios is exactly how it should be, you know the army group center—they've got two panzer groups, and and you can blow through to the to the end of the map in three turns almost. Uh, army group north—you uh, you initially have this 
great offensive, but then you start bogging down in the terrain around uh, Leningrad, and then the whole thing becomes a slugging match. Army Group South, much slower. Um, you're all, the the one Panzer Group there seems uh, has its hands full. There's a lot of Soviet troops down there. Um, you can see exactly exactly why uh, they turned Guderian South because without uh, without his help, um, I can imagine how they would never have have uh, been able to uh, to you know clean up that that giant pocket. So um, the game really does a great job of taking everything that I've read about and learned over the years about the Eastern Front and allowing me to click on it. Yeah, I'm hoping to put a lot more hours. Uh, there's so much I want to play this week now that I got back uh, from Canada and I've fallen behind in my gaming, and I really want to spend uh, more time in the longer campaign. I did play some for the PC Gamer Review because I had to. You know, it's the right thing to do. But to finish it... Um, would have been just Im- almost impossible. Uh-huh. Right, but not talking uh, about finishing, but, but I mean, like, if you, uh, did you get a chance to get into the meat of the game, I guess? Well, that, that part of the yeah, game. Like the... I think so. I mean, I got into the what I think was the meat of it, but I mean, it's one of these games where I'm wondering if I understand the meat or what, yes. kind, of meat it, or what kind of meat it even is. Uh, I mean, I, I wrote enough, I knew enough about the game, I said, this is a war game that is well is a great war game. It is deep. It is rewarding. It has um, not just a whole lot of stuff in it. It actually has interesting problems, interesting tactical problems, interesting strategic problems. It has the whole historical feel, great flow, holistic, organic, blah blah blah. Uh, but yeah, when I go back and I resume my campaign um, or play more from the Soviet side, I'm pretty sure I'm still going to like it. But I'm, I'll, I'm. But am I eating venison or am I eating moose? I mean, it's what kind of precisely what kind of deer am I eating here? Well, uh, it's quite good, but I, I'm I'm probably I'm missing something. I'm almost certain I'm missing something. I, I but don't think you're missing great... anything. I mean, there's a lot of detail that I don't think is necessarily uh, right. I, it's, that necessarily is is uh, that consequential. Like I think the whole air game is really overrated, and. Uh, um, you know, you have so many different units, and and I'm not sure what 95 bombers versus 38 bombers really how much that has to do with uh, with the uh, with the out- outcome of any given battle. I just had a, a battle where my um, my initial combat value was 121, and then I have a combat modifier of 90%, and my final combat value was 276. So. I have no idea. I'm not even sure. I'm not even sure I want those numbers to be thrown out like that. I mean, if you're not going to give me the whole calculation, then then uh, um, I, I just I, I think that I would prefer a more coherent, more uh, easily arrived at set of numbers. Which I I don't yeah. I don't think it really matters. I mean, there's there's no reason to track casualties to the individual soldier except for immersion purposes. I mean, that's pretty obvious to me. I, I will say, though, it's pretty awesome in the June 22nd scenarios when you open up the, well, what's the, what's the scoreboard right now? Right. Um, the, the early stages of Barbarossa are pretty damn satisfying for the German commander um, yeah. when you've lost, like, you know, <laughs> I think by the end of the first turn of the Smolensk scenario, scenario um, I think I'd lost, like, uh, 2,500 men, something like that, and 
I was up to about 197,000 Soviet casualties. Like, you know, that that feels pretty good. But aside from that, but I mean, aside <laughs> that from that, feels pretty good. Well, exactly. You know, back to the ethics of war gaming. That's a macabre statement, but still. Um, but yeah, aside from that, though, aside from the G whiz factor of, well, you know, look at look at the scope of this war. Um, yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure that granularity really makes a big difference. Yeah, and but we and, can say that we like it. Yes. Yeah. I will. Absolutely. I will. I will also say that the that the Barbarossa scenarios versus the later scenarios play very differently, and there's a lot more sort of figuring out where you're. You know, he, the Barbarossa scenarios are very simple and straightforward in the sense that you basically try to concentrate a lot of force at one point break the Soviet front, and then pour everything behind as as, uh, as effectively as possible. You know, put the pedal to the metal, get your troops out as far in front of the of your uh, your your armor, as far out in front of your infantry as you dare, and then you know, close pockets, uh, keep the whole front moving. It's very it's very exciting and interesting. The Later scenarios are a little bit more of a grind fest, and uh, it's a different kind of game. I have not yet been able to evaluate whether that is as interesting as um, as uh, uh, as this. Now, I, I my my comparison is the uh, the John Tiller grind fests, where you just have so many units, and it you have to click the mouse so many times before anything you know even remotely interesting what, what scale are the John Tiller games at what, what's the what's the standard unit size you're dealing with in those games oh gosh I mean I think I think they're I think it's well it depends but I mean like for the for the uh, for the course and pocket game I think it's battalion oh, I think you're right yeah I mean you know just just one thing that does bother me a little bit about this game and I'm not sure I'm not sure there's a way to fix this but you know, like moving moving armies around division by division is fine in the smaller scenarios. When I'm dealing with the entire front, I really start wishing that I could just move core move core by core, and then divide them in divisions as necessary. Yeah, see the core core level versus division level is a huge difference. I mean, the uh, uh, one of my favorite games in the world, the Russian campaign, uh, is a uh, is a core level game, but the feel is. Comp- Completely different because you can't really play core level with weaklings. It uh, uh, it just doesn't That's work. That's true. So uh, so the, the, I yeah. mean, in order in order to get the the, the sort of pacing of this game uh, that uh, that I think we're all enjoying, uh, you really have to do you really have to do a division level game. And and I and I think it. I mean, I, I think it really works at the division level, um, ex- with with the exceptions that I've noted. Okay, so um, you know, th- there's where we're at with um, with War in the East. But you know, I'll I'll just say that, you know, it, it's a real challenge for me as I as I try to figure out how to review this game because the question is, at what point do I understand the game well enough? And I'm really not sure. I'm not really sure what 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 line I'm going to draw for myself where I say, okay, now I'm ready to really seriously talk about how this game design all works. Because there's so many part, there's so many segments of it where I think my understanding is murky. Or you know, just just a little indistinct, and and there are parts of the parts of the game like later in the war that I haven't explored. 
but at the same time, there comes a point where I need, like, you need to be able to say, well, okay, I'm done with this game enough to render a judgment. Um, but the problem is the, the game is so damn big. Um, it, it's really hard. It's really hard to know when I when I've reached that point. Yeah, I mean, I think that the, the, it it just takes a lot more. I mean, this stuff just takes a lot more uh, uh, a lot more playtime than you know. It just takes a lot of playtime. That's basically the bottom line. Yeah, that's <laughs> and yeah. and I mean, you, you're not going to be able to make those. Uh, you're not going to meet. Uh, not going to be able to make those uh, determinations until you've played the game through. I mean, I played I played the Minsk scenario three times before I felt. I sort of knew what was going on in terms of all the considerations that I had to to take into account. Um, but then, you know, putting that together with, you know, a whole front worth of, of units, I mean, the, a, a turn in that thing is going to take what? It's going to take like an hour. My, my first my first turn in the small one scenario took me like yeah. three or four hours. And and yeah. you can't really, I mean, you can't, you can't play a game like that. I mean, you can't. You can't play a game like that, but you can't finish a game like that. At least I can't. It's never going to happen. Right now, I mean, you know, just just for my own curiosity, but I think listeners would be interested to know. I mean, you guys, you guys both, you, you guys both used to play and review a lot of these games, um, and I guess like you know, what what kind of ground rules did you lay out for yourselves when you were dealing with games that were this, you know, just, this ambitious, where they're designed for you know thousands I of hours way in advance. I mean, but I think you can get a. I mean, I think you can get a good sense of where a game is going after you know, twenty or thirty hours of it. Um, one of the good things about war games is they're not exactly deadline sensitive. Yeah. That's true. Yeah, I mean, that wasn't like you know, CGM was going to say, well, you know, we need that review of Panzer Campaign right. East tomorrow. Otherwise, you know, PR is going right. to be all over us. No. They didn't really. The Taylor games were happy they got reviewed. Well, I mean, and I, I'm bashing uh, on the Taylor. I, mean, I got it. I got it. I mean, I, I did like. I liked. Uh, what was the first one? I think it was the Smolensk, uh, forty-one. Yep. Uh, no, no. There were the, the Taylor models. Have some. There are some. There are some yeah, good they, campaigns. They started in there, getting too but. big, and uh, and you know, I I enjoyed some of the some of the smaller scenarios in, in the Panzer campaigns, but. Um, I just I just don't think uh, I don't think that that interface worked very well. Um, I think the way that this whole I think you can just get into th- that's the fundamental. That's uh, we'll stop talking about War in the East, but the fundamental take home lesson about War in the East is that if you play war games, you can click on something, you can move it, and you can watch it attack. And that's basically everything you need right there. And yeah, I I strongly recommend War in the East. Excellent. Very highly. All right. Um, so, Rob, what else are you playing? You have. Well, um, you know, the other game I, I, that I spent, you know, the last four or five days uh, playing, when I wasn't playing War in the East, um, I was playing Dungeons. Right. Um, and I don't know. I mean, have you guys have you guys heard of this no. game? I I saw it at uh, a press event that Calypso put on in San Francisco in the fall. I haven't played it yet. It's in my Steam account, so I'll have to check it out. Um, it is a Dungeon Keeper type game. Yeah. Revival of the Dungeon Keeper model. Right. Um, it's a bit like that. Um, it, it's it's kind of weird. It's, it's definitely a hybrid game. Um, 
it, it, it's funny in, in, in the um, in the introduction they sort of they sort of lay out for you that your goal isn't to just defend your dungeon um, but your goal is to keep a good dungeon is its job is to keep heroes entertained um, it, it, it's game very self-consciously is very self-conscious about um, you know the dungeon the conventions of the dungeon crawl RPG and in this game, what, you, what your job your job is basically to build, um, you know, an amusing, challenging uh, dungeon to keep you know the heroes who raid it um, coming back for more. Um, and as they as they move through your dungeon and they pick up, it, it's there's there's a Sims element um, as they as they satisfy their needs. Uh, mages love you know scrolls of wisdom. Um, warriors love to find you know sweet armor and weapons. Um, and everyone likes gaining experience and killing monsters. As they satisfy these needs, um, they accumulate soul energy. Um, you know, basically their happiness bar. And after they satisfy all their needs, they try to escape your dungeon. Um, and that's where, ideally, you intercept them before they can escape. You beat them in a fight. They fall down. You know, you've killed them, but they aren't really dead. Because now, they're carried off to your uh, prison... Where they're slowly, you know, wrung out of all that cell, the, all that um, soul energy, and that's what powers your dungeon. That's what gives you the ability to buy upgrades, um, you know, put more stuff in your dungeon. Um, and so that, that's the, the, the strategic aspect. But you're also there as the dungeon lord, which is kind of a sourin-looking avatar dude. Um, and at that point, you're kind of playing a Diablo-style RPG almost. Um, where you're running around your own dungeon and killing heroes in it. Uh, so that, that's kind of the, the hybrid angle. Um, you know, it's a game I was not I was not expecting much from. Yeah. Um, and I when, had, when I, I saw it, San Francisco, the same thing. I was not expecting a whole lot from it. It just did not look like it would be a you know either original enough or long enough to hold my interest or varied enough. Yeah. Um, but you know, I, I was actually surprised. I really ended up enjoying it. Um, you gave you gave it a very strong review, as I recall. Like, uh, yeah, I, I reviewed it for GamePro. The, the review's not out yet. Um, it is actually. Oh, it is. God. Yep. They don't tell me anything. Um, <laughs> well, that was fast. I sent that in like yesterday. Anyway. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So I, I give it. I give it four stars. Um. And I mean. I think part of that was, you know, the the what a pleasant surprise factor. Um, but you know, I, I gotta say, like one of the things I, I really enjoyed about uh, one of the things I really enjoyed about the game um, is just, you know, you're getting to use all these level design tricks that you that have totally been used on you in other RPGs, right? So you're building like light sources and really cool intricate models that you know you're here that heroes be drawn to. Um, you know, like bugs to a lamp, um, and you see them. You see them all like they're standing in like a crossroads. And there's the one darkened corridor. You don't want them to go down the darkened corridor. That's your that's your you know dungeon lord super highway. Uh, and then there's the well lit dungeon that leads to the spooky crypt. And sure enough, all the heroes just go beelining down into the spooky crypt um, and spend like twenty minutes killing monsters. Um, you know, grabbing treasure, and then they move on. You know, the route you the route you've chosen for them. Um, and I mean, there, there's enough there, there's enough like dungeon customization you can do that 
you know, it's it, it it's a lot of fun just sort of playing Sim Dungeon. Um, my big my big complaint with the game is I I don't feel they did enough to enough to to force you to change up the strategies you're using. Like, you know, there, there's these different hero classes that come to raid your dungeon, and you can sort of envision a scenario where you kind of have to figure out how to separate mages from the tanks that protect them, how to how to put them on different tracks to really satisfy them and then kill them as easily as possible. Um, but in practice, that's not what this game is about. Like, if you build a, you know, good a good path for them, every hero class will probably end up satisfied. And at that point, you know, at that point, you know, you go from level to level, and, you know, I can, I can see myself, I'm starting to repeat myself. You know, in terms of how, right. in terms of how I'm playing the game, and, um... Well, you know, as Bill Abner is fond of saying, you know, once once you've got your go-to strategy, one, once the same thing works over and over again, you know, I mean, for him, the game is dead. For me, it, it might take a little longer, but it, it does it doesn't change the fact it's disappointing that you can repeat a strategy and, well, works here, work there, and it's probably going to work in the next level. That's that's my big complaint. I think with, with a little more effort to demand more strategic creativity, um, it could have been. I think it could have been an amazing game. Uh, did you play the original Dungeon Keeper? Uh, no, I did not. Okay, so I was wondering how it uh, how it compares because when I saw it, it was the thing that immediately uh, sprung to mind was when they even mentioned it was an homage to Dungeon Keeper in many ways. Even the advertising, even the marketing trailer uh, looked like the opening cutscene from Dungeon Keeper in many ways. It was kind of blatant. Uh, so I'm just wondering how much of that has carried on, at least in you know terms of the humor. I understand they're trying to go more for a hero ecosystem instead of the heroes just as the enemy. You have to harvest them; they're like a natural resource. Right? Wasn't wasn't Dungeon Keeper a bit more of a, you know, almost like a mousetrap type game where you're just really trying to, you're really just trying to trap and kill these guys. Oh, the the people would come in. You're you're trying to create a dungeon and meet your goals. Kind of like a. Uh, Evil under underworld lord Sim City more than anything else. You know, the other thing was to satisfy your minions more than the heroes. The heroes would come in and try to knock it down, and you had to keep them out more than anything else. They're just a nuisances, and there were other dungeon masters you had to beat. Uh, but you have that in the dungeons as well, I believe. Right, you have to climb the ladder of evil. Right. Um, but yeah, the heroes weren't... They, they were just nuisances in Dungeon Keeper, and here they're a resource you have to harvest. Uh, they're, they're pigs you have to fatten on their soul energy right. and then move on, as, as was explained to me and as you've explained it. So that was that, that's the big departure. Uh, so I was hoping to get into that sometime tonight or this week. There's so much I want to do, but you know, now that I have a job that's, well, not quite 9 to 5, but it's something I can actually excuse myself cutting off at 7. Unlike writing. Yes, I know, Bruce. Some of us are like that. Not like you. Whatever you got. Whatever you got. Yeah, I know. We, but, uh, so, yeah, that's... I'm trying to think if there's anything else I've been playing, but there really isn't. Um, they're just going back to my old Can favorites. Can I bring up something else I've been playing? I of paid course. $10 for this game that I downloaded from this guy. Uh, okay. And uh, it, it's... It's a uh, it's a really old school game. It's called September 1939, and I I think okay. we featured it as a link at the bottom of some podcast. Um, 
but uh, it's by this this company, White Dog Games, which is I think just some one guy who programs things. Um, for nine ninety five, um, it's the complete opposite of War in the East. It's a very traditional, uh, you know, this this um, this unit has four combat factors. This unit has six combat factors, kind of thing. It you, I mean, it, it's mm-hmm. it's, uh, I mean, the the interface is 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 uh, sort of bad for nineteen ninety five, but <laughs> it it appeals to that. It's true. It really is. I mean, it, it's you, you just have to to see it to understand. But uh, it, it does appeal to that part of me that really likes to to solve puzzles and problems and make perfect plans and figure out exactly, mm-hmm. you know, what's the optimal way to assign these, you know, these four infantry divisions to this particular attack. Um, and so, I, you know, I enjoy it. I mean, it's certainly for 995. It was, it was, uh, it was worth the download. Uh, I hope I helped the guy out. Um, what, what's the name of the game? It's again? called September 1939. It's from White Dog Games. Okay. White dog. Games. So it's an invasion of Poland yes. game. And it. Okay, just just that campaign. Yes, and it has AI, so you can play against the AI. I have no idea whether the AI is any good since I haven't played that much. But uh, now, is it is it mostly about like how quickly you can take down Poland uh, as Germany? Or? Uh, you know, I'm not quite sure because once again, I haven't even completed one game of it. But uh, I mean, it may be that. Uh, uh, that uh, the poles are uh, more robust than they were historically. I guess we'll find out. But um, it, yeah. So yeah, I'm at their site now. That's their only game that has AI. Probably. As I can tell. They have a they 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 also make uh, sort of desktop publishing type games where you you know the you you buy the kit and then you have to make your own counters and stuff. Yeah, I could. Uh, they have a Zama here. Battle mm-hmm. of Zama. I mean, that's that's the one well, that I ha- want. Why is there an AI for the Battle of Zama? It's, it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's one of those sites that I, that I click through and think, wow, if I had any extra time in my life at all, I would in, uh, investigate some of this. Another, another uh, thing that I got uh, recently that I'll never, probably never play. Although I just uh, on Consum World, I found there's a there's a wargaming club in my area, maybe like an hour or so away, um, that I'm going to try to hook up with at some point when I have a like a weekend day that I can blow. But um, I just got uh, Kevin Zucker's um, uh, The Coming Storm uh, Quadra game for whatever it cost, 120 bucks, whatever board games are going for mm-hmm. these days. And uh, I want to play one of those things. But um, I bought uh, a game on the uh, the Franco-Algerian War. Ooh. Oh, Dude, yeah, it's called uh, Ici, C'est la France. Uh and it's it's in English, um, and uh, apparently, I mean, it looks the rule book's very interesting. Units don't have movement points. You can basically move anywhere you want because, in the scale of the game, uh, there there really are no movement restrictions. But it, it costs you uh, it costs you supply and operations, and uh, it's it's a really it's a, a, uh, the 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 company is called Legion War Games. And uh, it, it's one of these deals, kind of like a GMT, where you uh, you uh, sign up for games. They have a, a very popular game, a solitaire game out called um, uh, B29 Super Fortress, which is kind of a copy of uh, B17 mm-hmm. Flying Fortress that uh, Avalon Hill put out a long time ago. But um, 
it's uh they have a lot of games about really obscure subjects. I think I sent Troy a link to uh, some Canadian revolt war game that they made. Uh, some Canadian yeah. revolt. Wait, the there, great there, Northwest, there was a the Canadian great, revolt. <laughs> the Great Northwest. Yeah. The Great Northwest yes. Rebellion. Uh, that's what it was. Yes, that's true. And then they have. Uh, um, there's uh, some Russian Civil War. Uh, there's a Russian Civil War game. They have a, a French Indochina war game uh, by the same guy that designed the uh, Franco-Algerian war game. Uh, so that's LegionWarGames.com. D- did okay, uh, okay. This is Legion. This, this is not GMT. No. no. Okay. It's just it, they use a similar model. Okay. Um, so the the Franco-Algerian war game that that would be a counterinsurgency game. Uh, I'm guessing that it is. Uh, I have had the opportunity to open it and look at the rule book. Okay, but you haven't had a chance to take out a first. <laughs> oh god. Okay, well, I mean, when when you do, like, definitely come back and give us a report because, you know, one one of my like pet interests is, you know, how how do game designers go about like modeling. Um, you know, irregular mm-hmm. warfare, because I think if we're going to if we're going to get you know an exciting next generation of war games that isn't all driven by World mm-hmm. War II, um, eventually you've got to start getting you you've got to be able to make compelling games from these from these other experiences mm-hmm. from these irregular yep. warfare experiences. I agree. Um, and so I'm always excited to see like how people are going about like meeting that challenge, and I you know that's that's a fascinating conflict. Um, and I just I'd be really interested to see how you end up making a war game where because I, I can make sense out of you know from the way uh, Michael Barnes over Game Shark has described um, you know labyrinth I can get how a 1960 um, you know influence you know it you know influence card game can can work for modeling you know counterinsurgency um, but I, I'd be interested to see how a more grognardy take. Uh, you know, you know, what is a more grognardy take on on that experience? All right. Well, I'll uh, hopefully w- with this uh, with these guys that uh, there's a there's a gaming group of I don't know, like twenty guys apparently some probably more active than others, but uh, I'm going to try to hook up with them in the next uh, month or two and see if I can get a game of this in, uh, and I'll tell you how it goes. Okay, since it's been a bit of wargamer show and tell, there's there's one last game I like to bring up then. Um, you know, on a whim, a few months ago, I picked up um, a an American Revolution War game, um, Hold the Line. Okay. Um, and you know, I gotta say, like, you know, I really enjoy it. And one pleasant surprise has been uh, that that my girlfriend MK actually really enjoys it as well. Um, you know, this game was really ner- I was really nervous because, I mean, one, I, I totally tried to like smuggle that in under the radar because I shouldn't have been buying war games. Um. But nonetheless, as I was reading business expense, <laughs> exactly. As I was reading the rules, though, I started to think, "Oh, oh, God! Did I just did I just buy Memoir Forty Four again?" Um, <laughs> but the key difference is, of course, that it, you know this is not a command and color system. The map isn't divided up that way, um, and it's not really about like it's not really about like battles of annihilation between these armies. I mean, the idea is hold the line, right? It's more about like the the grinding. Um, aspect of uh, like 18th century warfare where it's just slowly like abrading the enemy's will to continue standing there and get shot at um, and I mean it's it's a very it's a very simple game I mean it's it, you know the rules take like a half hour to explain um, and one of the one of the really one of the really cool things they do you know I think is is the way they sort of like 
cha- tweak the scenarios is um, you have a number of action points that come come to your side um, for the scenario, like uh, the Battle of Long Island. Uh, the Americans have two action points, you know, at the start of each mm-hmm. turn. The British have three, and then you roll an action point die um, that can give you value from one to three, and you add that to what comes with, you know, the scenario, and that's how how many moves you get. So you can like, you know, roll high and oh, great! I've got six. I've got six command points, mm-hmm. and the other guy sitting there only only has three moves. And so, I mean, that, you know, you, you, it's not like Command and Colors where a, where a bad draw can totally screw you and your strategy is just completely shot out the window. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's definitely, it's definitely about deciding what are the most critical maneuvers you have to make Okay. with, with your limited points. Um, so I've been, I've been really enjoying that. Um, well, then it's like Paths know, of Glory or any of the, uh, the, the card game, uh, similar, similar concept, right? Right, but you see, this is all new to me. Ah, see, so you have... Yeah, see. Yeah, he, he, he doesn't have our history. Yes, I understand. Okay. Yeah, I mean, my first for, my first foray into a board wargaming was Advanced Squad Leader. That ended poorly. Oh, that's too bad. Somewhat. I really like Advanced yeah. Squad Leader. Yeah. Good. You, you don't? I assume no, I love it. It's fantastic. I okay. wish I had a chance okay, to like... play, but I can't. Yeah, so the so that yeah, that's the whole thing. The whole uh, limited, uh, like, what's the one thing I need to do most this turn? That's uh, that's a very Paths of Glory game, uh, card-driven thing. That's very um, uh, Turning Point Stalingrad, uh, Breakout Normandy, Thunder at Casino, Storm over Arnhem. Kind of, you know, I have all these guys. I can move one unit this turn before my opponent moves, which is the absolute one unit I have to move. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, I like that kind of I like that kind of tension in a game. And the one thing I like is, I mean, the scenarios can be like 20, 30, turn, 20, 30 turns, but the pacing is so quick that that's not actually that long. You know, like 18, 19 turns will just fly so by. So how long does it take and to play scenarios, Um, Generally, it's one hour, you know, from, from setup to uh, completion. Oh, nice. So, very attractive. It's not so bad. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, full disclosure, I, I played a game with Julian. Um, he hated it. Really? Um, yeah. So. Well, that's another point in its favor. Yeah, see, that's my exact thinking. <laughs> okay. That's my exact thinking. He was like, I'd rather play Memoir. Uh, and then I overturned the table. So, uh, all right, so that, that pretty much does it for uh, for our discussion of what we've been playing. I, I hope, I hope uh, listeners will forgive us for having sort of a free-form conversation like this. And Yeah, we had an off week. Um, hope you enjoyed our off really, week. Really, really... Yeah. No, just really lavishing some, uh, some additional attention on War in the East. Um... But I, I think it's I think it's good to you know sort of clear the decks as yes. it were. Next, we'll have some exciting, amazing topic about superness. It's it's totally true. Next week, the topic is superness. In fact, you just you just blew the surprise. <laughs> okay, um, okay, so that so that does it for our show. Um, I'd like to thank uh, Troy and Bruce for joining joining me tonight. And uh, I'd like to thank uh, our producer, Michael Hermes, for taking this train wreck of a show and uh, making it, you know, fashioning it. Into what do you mean train wreck? This is the best show you've had since the last time I was on. Oh, right. Um, t- taking, all these, taking all these deeply flawed audio recordings and, and trans- transmogrifying them into a listenable show uh, that listeners can enjoy, hopefully. Don't thank him until he does it. <laughs> oh, he's been, he's been doing it since you left. 
Um, so anyway, uh, thanks for listening, and uh, see you next week. Bye, Bye everyone. Gamers.